0: If you have your copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to open up to Romans chapter 12, beginning in verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. The title of the message today is God's Growth Plan. This is, I think what we see in Romans chapter 12 is, uh, is how God intends and desires for believers to grow, for us to grow in Christ. <clears throat> So before we read the text, would you pray with me? Our Father, as we come to your word, I pray that you would speak to all of us, speak into our lives, O oh Father. Convict us, Lord, with a yearning and a hunger for your word. God refresh our hearts and our minds today. Fill us, O Lord, with your Holy Spirit. Let your presence descend upon this place in an extra special way this morning. And Father, I pray that even this morning, your anointing would be upon my lips, upon my mind, upon our ears as we hear and upon our minds as we think about your word and apply it to our own lives. And Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, if you found your place in Romans chapter 12, I want to invite you to to follow along as I read. Some of you may not need to follow along. You may have already memorized this verse. It's kind of a life verse, which is a a great thing to do. But follow along as I read verse 1. The good and acceptable and perfect. I think I messed up at the end. I started quoting a version that I memorized a while back. So let me let me say that so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There we go. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. As we consider Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, and we think about this idea of commitment to Christ we need to think in the big picture, the broad, general picture of what our lives are to look like once we come to faith in Christ. I mean, if we say that Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives, then what does that mean practically? Well, it means that he he owns it. It means that he's sovereign over our lives. And so in this text this morning, we have the simplest yet most... Profound instruction for the believer's growth in godliness, for the believer's growth in Christ. And it trumps, listen, it trumps all growth strategies for the church. This growth strategy that Paul lays out here is better than any other growth strategy, strategy that we might hear with regard to church growth. And here it is. You ready for it? Commitment to Christ. That's the growth strategy. It's simple. But yet it's profoundly deep. Because what Paul is saying here to the church is he's saying your commitment to Christ needs to grow. And that is your relationship to Christ is going to flourish as you go deeper and deeper into God's word, into a prayer life, as you go deeper and deeper into walking with Christ. Because deep abiding joy comes from the deep abiding life. (coughs) Hypothetically. What if, when I had proposed to Tara to marry me, what if I would have said to her something like this? I love you, and I love you so much that I want to ask you to marry me. Now, when you marry me, I want you to know that I'm going to be committed to you in my mind, in my heart, and even in my spirit, but not in my body. I'm reserving the right in my body to keep my actions separate from our marriage covenant. Well, I wouldn't have gotten married, that's for sure. You know, really, that's a ludicrous thing to even think about or to say, isn't it? Our marriage would be doomed from the very beginning. It would be doomed to failure. And the reason is because when we enter a marriage covenant, we enter as if we're all in, right? Like we're, we're all in, Everything. And if we find out that the person we're going to marry isn't all in, we call it off, right? I mean, because when you marry, you expect that it's going to be all in, that both parties are going to be all in. I think the Christian life is a lot like this. When we enter a new covenant in Christ, we're all in. We're not partially in. The Christian life is about the whole self. And what Paul is saying here is about the body and the mind being all in, all in into Christ's service. And so we're to be all in and completely employed in the mission of God's kingdom work. And so in our Connect 365 focus that Wes mentioned a few moments ago, we're highlighting this central biblical truth of the Christian life which is that Christ's followers, disciples of Christ, Christians, however you want to term it, that we are to live in a way that we're sold out for Christ, that we are all in. So from cover to cover, Scripture affirms this truth, that God's people are to be all in, that all of life for the believer is to be lived missionally, in a missional way, right? Everything we do, from work to play to social life in the neighborhood, everything we do, it's to be incorporated under this umbrella of living for Christ. And so we say where Life Intersects Mission because it's all about how we are to live carrying out God's redemptive mission in the world. So last week we looked at community, and this week we're looking at Christ. But particularly, or specifically, when we're looking at Christ, we're looking at how we grow. Right? How we grow in Christ as a believer. And so God's will, God's will is the great concern of the Christian life. So this morning, first I want to I want to look at at two points, two main points, and then I want to follow up at the end by challenging us with a point of application. And and the first point I want us to see, if we're going to see God's growth plan and looking at Romans twelve, one through two, we must learn that worship includes all of life. Look at what Paul says in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Now, first note that Paul is making an appeal, right? I mean, he's, he's reaching out to the church. He calls them brothers. He's speaking to the church in Rome. And as he's reaching out to the church, he's calling to them. And he's saying, listen, brothers. Hear what I'm saying, brothers and sisters, we could say. For all in the church. And he's saying, I appeal to you. I'm begging, I'm coming to you and let me encourage you is what he's saying. Well, what's he encouraging them to do? Well, he's encouraging them, appealing to them to let their bodies, give their bodies, offer their bodies as a living sacrifice. But before we get there, notice what he bases his appeal on. And what is that that he bases his appeal on there in verse 1? It's on what? The mercies of God, right? He says, I appeal to you, brothers, on the mercies of God. Well, what is this mercy of God? What are the mercies of God? And and how has God shown mercy? Well, here's the definition for mercy. Mercy is when we're pardoned, even though judgment was deserved. Mercy is when we're pardoned, even though judgment was deserved. Mercy is receiving something that we don't deserve, right? And so what are the mercies of God then? Well, the mercy of God... Is that he's pardoned me. He's forgiven me. Even though I don't deserve it. Christ has provided a way for my forgiveness. So that I might live in relationship with him. He's forgiven me. And he's made me a new creation. For every believer this is what he's done. We've been born again. We've been brought into this fellowship. Into this new life in Christ. And so here's what Paul is saying. In verse 12 verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. My appeal to you, what I'm about to say, it's based upon, number one, it's based upon God's mercy. And to understand God's mercy, you need to see this. Chapters 1 through 11 are concerned with helping us understand the mercy of God. Now, I'm not going to go back and recap chapters 1 through 11, but I invite you to think about it with me. In chapters 1 through 11. The mercies of God. And as Paul begins by showing how sin has entered into the world. And dominated the world. And because of that men have rejected God. It began with Adam and Eve. And so in chapter 5 he talks about the true and real Adam. And then he shows how. The, the Adam from the beginning, the second Adam, Christ, has come. And so throughout all of Romans up to this point, Paul has been building for us to understand now, see that as God's mercy. All of the doctrine that he's laid out in chapters 1 through 11 have been focused at drawing our attention to understanding this truth about who God is, that he is good, that he is sovereign, and that he has provided a way of salvation. And though we didn't deserve it, why? Because we had rejected God. We turned away from God. We pursued our own will in our own way. And we did not deserve the pardon that he had given us. But he did give us a pardon. And the pardon that he gave us was was because of Christ, his son. And so we see the, the result of this sin staining the world, staining humanity, is that all have sinned against God. In fact, in chapter 3, he establishes that because of sin, humanity is depraved in thought and in deed. Chapter 3, verses uh, 10 through 14, uh, a familiar passage. And he says, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands, right? No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongue to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness, their feet, on and on and on. He shows how in the body man has pursued a course other than God's way. Then he goes on to say, but God has provided. He's made a way for us now to have fellowship with him and to be be forgiven. And that's through the person and work of Christ because chapter 3, verse 23 says, All have sinned. We're all locked up under this judgment that we deserve. Because we've sinned against holy God. And he has every right. To crush us. And to send us to hell. But the glorious truth. Is that through Christ. He has provided so that we don't have. To suffer the wrath of God. In an eternal hell. But because of Christ and his. Sacrifice. Now we can have eternal life. And so Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, right? But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we have this big clause, this big exception now. That now, even though we deserve justice, we deserve this judgment, rather. This is God's justice. We deserve judgment and we deserve to be uh, eternally cast into hell. That Jesus Christ has saved us because he has given his life. And now because he has saved us... We can have eternal life. He suffered the punishment that we deserve. And because of that, now we can enter into this relationship with the Father, with God the Father. Because now when he looks upon us, he doesn't see the unrighteous, unrepentant, wicked sinner that we once were, as he describes how we used to be. Right? Read Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Go home and read it, if you don't know it, if you're not familiar with it. And see how Paul describes Humanity and understand that that was us before coming to Christ. And so what Paul is now saying is. Because of Christ, because of what he has done, because of God's salvation through Christ. God's mercy. Parentheses here, God's mercy, therefore, because of God's mercy, here's how you ought to live now. The difference between christianity and every other religion is that all the other religions are working trying to earn god's favor right but get what god has done through christ in order to see, see these other religions they work to earn god's favor so that they might now receive mercy they earn they earn the mercy that they're given but look at what god does in through Christ and Christianity. For the believer, God first gives us mercy. And when he gives us mercy, then he transforms us so that now we live for him and we serve him. You see, that's the difference. We're not earning God's favor. Listen, believer, you don't have to impress God. You don't have to earn his favor. It's already given to you. You've already been given his mercy. That's why Paul says, Therefore, brothers, I appeal to you. On behalf of the mercies of God. What mercies? Jesus Christ has saved you. He's covered your sin. He's paid for it. You don't have to do anything to earn that. He's paid for it. Now all you have to do is just live in him. Enjoy his presence. Enjoy his fellowship. You see the call of this passage overall. It's commitment to Christ. It's obedience. It's obedience. We hate that word don't we? Obedience. This is what God is calling us to. To walk in obedience. So if we're going to understand the mercy of God, we need to understand that we are offenders. Nick Taylor is an offender of God's holiness. And until we understand the depth of our offense against a holy God, then we cannot grapple and understand the depth of God's mercy. We can't understand the mercies of God without understanding why we need forgiveness. And so here in chapter 12, he turns this corner saying, therefore, because of God's mercy, here's how you are to respond. Here's how you are to live. And then he says, by the mercies of God, I appeal to you, brothers, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice This living sacrifice is to be holy and acceptable to God. It's your spiritual worship. Well, first, we need to see that in worship, we present something to God. What do we present to God? Well, according to Paul here, we present our bodies. We present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, there's something we need to understand about the Old Testament sacrificial system, which Paul is drawing on here. In the Old Testament sacrificial system basically there are two broad categories for sacrifice when it comes to worship. One is propitiatory, the other is dedicatory, all right? Propitiatory it means that Christ it's paying for sin. The other is dedicatory means that it's it's dedicating oneself. It's not covering sin, but it's it's a dedication sacrifice. And so here's what Paul's honing in on here because of God's mercy Jesus Christ has given his life as the propitiation, right? So he is the propitiatory sacrifice. So get what Paul's saying. You don't have to come and earn God's favor. Christ has already brought you into the presence of God. Now you need to bring a dedicatory sacrifice before the Lord. This is your life. You're bringing your life and you're laying it down before the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, all in everything. 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 Is in. And so Paul is saying, you lay your life down as a living sacrifice. What's so special about a living sacrifice? Why does he say living sacrifice? I think one reason he says is because physically we're alive, right? We're not we're not dead, we're not being sacrificed physically in the sense that an old testament sacrifice would have been sacrificed. Secondly, because spiritually we're alive. We're alive in Christ. We've been been made alive. We've been born again, as Jesus says in John chapter 3. We've been given new life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, right? All things have been made new. And so we've been born again into this living hope. The only way someone can come to worship God is if they are born again of God. And what Paul is saying here is is that we bring our bodies as a living sacrifice. The other thing is that this is not a dead, forced action. Listen, this is a volitional, conscientious act. I am choosing, when I wake, like John Stott says, when he wakes up in the morning, before he gets out of bed, he quotes Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is going to be God's day, right? With my feet, I'm going to serve you. With my hands, I'm going to serve you. With my mouth, I'm going to speak for you. With my mind, I'm going to dwell upon you. This is the idea of giving our bodies as a living sacrifice. So in worship, we present something to God. And presenting our bodies to God, get this, it's a continual action. It's not something that we just do one time and then we're done with it. This is something that we do continually All the time, we're always presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice before the Lord. And this deals with the daily mission of the believer. It's a life lived in joyful surrender to the service of God. So to present our bodies as a living sacrifice means then, here here we go, it means that I'm laying down my self-will in submission to the Father's will. But that's really hard to do really hard to do, isn't it? This was Adam's struggle, Adam and Eve's struggle in the garden. This was their temptation to sin. God said, don't eat. They said, but I want to eat. It looks good, right? Pursue self-will over the Father's will. You know, when I think about this, I think about Jesus himself in the garden. Now, Jesus, especially in Romans, Jesus represents the true true humanity he came as the true human the faithful son the one who shows us what our true humanity is like he was he came in, in, in in perfection he lived in obedience to the will of god but think with me about jesus in the garden of gethsemane as he is there praying he had asked his disciples his friends pray for me i'm about to enter this dark hour pray for me intercede for me and then he goes a little further and he falls down and he begins praying. And what does he pray? Father, let this cup pass for me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. And he prays it three times. And I think about the emotional struggle that he was walking through. And the scripture tells us in Luke's account, it tells us that this emotional struggle even became physical, so physical that he sweat drops of blood. I mean, physically. He was battling, raging inside and out against this temptation. And what was this temptation? Father, not my will, but your will be done. Right? This temptation was real. It was a struggle for him. He, he was longing to, to follow the Father's will, but, but in his humanity experiencing this real pull and this real tension to walk in his own will you see to walk in the will of the father to lay our lives down as a living sacrifice to give our bodies as a living sacrifice it looks like surrendering our will to the will of the father and walking in his way and so jesus as a faithful son shows he shows us true humanity he shows us what it means to be fully human and to live in the submission of the father's will will and so when, I, when, I'm failing to, to, when I'm failing in temptation and falling to temptation consistently, I'm sinning. And in, in that sin, I'm not being the image bearer that God has made me to be. You see, when we walk in sin, we're walking in the fallen, distorted humanity that sin has brought about. And so being fashioned and shaped into the image of Christ... Means growing in Christ's likeness. It means looking more like Christ. It means walking in obedience to the Father's will and surrendering our own will. You see, the believer makes a daily choice to dedicate herself to the Lord, to dedicate Himself to God as as a living sacrifice. But secondly, the worship God receives is holy and acceptable. And what I mean by this, the only worship that God receives is holy and acceptable he says this living sacrifice is our, it's our spiritual worship to present our bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god which is your spiritual worship Or this this reasonable worship the word here is logikos in the greek text and it's where we get our word logical from it sounds the same sounds really similar right it it's logical it makes sense in other words in other words paul's calling the believers <coughs> To that which is intelligent and that which is deliberate. It takes a conscious, spirit-filled, volitional action to live for Jesus, both in body and in mind. And so in contrast with the Jewish understanding of worship, Paul's not talking about a ceremonial worship service. Nor is he talking about, as we come this, this morning and we gather here to worship the Lord... When we think about worship, even in our 21st century context, right? When we think about worship, we think about gathering together with God's people and worshiping the Lord, singing songs, here preaching, praying together, and then we go home. We've attended worship, right? But that's not what Paul's saying. That's not what worship is all about. It's part of worship, sure. But what he's saying is worship encompasses all of life everything in life and it works with the mind as well as with the body. And so he says, here is what's reasonable. Here is the spiritual service of worship. It is to lay your life down because worship is more than just inward emotions of the heart being offered to God. Worship actually involves our physical bodies. That's why in Romans chapter six, verse 13, he says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. And in Romans 6, 19, he says, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. You see? So we, we, we live this way before knowing Christ. but Now that we've come to faith in Christ, now we present our members to God as slaves to righteousness. So how then is a living sacrifice to be holy and acceptable? I think quite simply like this. A living sacrifice that's holy and acceptable is a, sac- is, is a life that is distinguished from the world. It means that we live differently. Each day we encounter the struggle of of submitting our will to the Father's will. We encounter this inner battle, this inner struggle, which is like Jesus' struggle in the garden. But instead of being like Jesus, sitting there praying, interceding, trusting in the will of God, I think that oftentimes believers find that they identify a lot more easily with the disciples who are under the tree sleeping when Jesus came back, right? So what happens to us? <laughs> we get worn out. We get weary. We begin trusting in ourselves and in our own strength. We quit pursuing Christ like we should as a believer. Like we know we need Christ. Hughes says it this way. He says, to decide to give part of your life to God. And keep other parts for yourself. Is to say. Everything is yours Lord. But this relationship. Or this deal. Or this pleasure. And saying that. Is beyond all spiritual logic. This is what Paul is saying. Laying your complete life down. To follow Christ. Laying your complete life down. Laying your body. Giving your body as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual worship. From the work. From the office to, to home, to the playground, for students, to the classroom, wherever we go, giving our lives, as our bodies as a living sacrifice. This is what Paul is calling us to. This is what Christ is calling us to. So Paul says the way we live matters. Our bodies are important in worshiping God. And worship is more than a once a week gathering in the church building. Worship is being a living sacrifice. Secondly, we must learn to embrace a kingdom perspective. We see this in verse two. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This idea of the renewal of the mind, what what Paul is speaking about here is is having a different perspective and this different perspective. We might call it a biblical worldview, but it's seeing Creation, Seeing all that we do through the lens of walking with God. Of walking with Christ. Of being a living sacrifice. And so he says that we need to embrace this kingdom perspective. Don't be conformed to this world. So what we need to see is that transformation of the mind is a continual process. Transformation of the mind is a continual process. So he says... Don't be conformed to this world. The word world here. It's the same word for age. It's where we get our word actually for age. And it speaks of that which is the age to come. And this age now. That's the distinction that he's making. And so don't be conformed to this age that you're living in. Instead look to the age to come. The one that is promised where Christ is reigning. And where he will reign supremely. And so in one sense Paul's calling us to cast our eyes forward, looking unto Christ. But it also means that Christians are to live radically different lives and have radically different mindsets from the current age in which we live. This is the call also of Colossians chapter 3, where Paul says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. Not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You see, Paul reminds us that the way of the kingdom citizen is to stand out. It's to be different. Conformity to the prevailing culture is the temptation that Christians face. But God calls us to be transformed and not to be conformed. I was talking with one of my sons. I told him I was going to use this illustration this morning. Um, and I wasn't sure if I was going to, but I was talking with one of my sons, and uh, he was telling me about something that was really interesting to him. It's called a stonefish. I don't know if you've ever heard of a stonefish, but as you might imagine, it looks like a piece of rock. Uh, that's where it, gets, where it gets its name. And so, but he said the stonefish is the most poisonous fish in the world, and sometimes what will happen is people will step on it uh, in coral, coral reef areas. Some people will step on it, and it will cause great pain, sometimes in some cases even take their life. So I went, when I heard about it, when I had a little bit of time, I went and Googled stonefish and just to see what stonefish looked like. And so as I pulled it up, what was most interesting to me was not that they're the most poisonous fish in the world, or even the pictures that you can Google it later, okay? Don't Google it now. I see something um, Just write down stonefish and Google it later, all right? Uh, and you'll see some pictures of people's legs that get swollen from stepping on it. But what was really interesting to me was not that they're the most poisonous fish, it was that they, <clears throat> their camouflage is incredible. If you didn't see the fish move, you wouldn't, even, you wouldn't even know that it was there. I mean, it blends in so well, it just kind of sits back and it bears itself a little bit in the sand, and it looks like a piece of the coral from the coral reef. Or it'll kind of sit back in a hole there in the, uh, at, in the reef and just wait for its unsuspecting prey to pass by. And so as I kind of looked at it, I was like, man, that's really incredible. Look how God has created this, this animal, this fish. But then as I began thinking about it, I was, you know, thinking that a lot of times in our Christianity, we tend to act like, kind of like the stonefish in some ways. I mean, this is even better than their poison. It's their camouflage. It's their best defense, right? And a lot of times what we try to do is we kind kind of back up and we kind of try to blend into the culture. We don't want to make too many ripples in the pond. We don't want to make too many ripples in the workplace, or we don't want to. Uh, we don't want to be labeled. And so, what we end up doing is we end up just kind of blending in and being quiet. We don't speak up when other people maybe share their opinion about a particular issue, and uh, and we don't necessarily feel. Well, we never feel comfortable, but we don't step forward and exercise uh, our faith and share. Uh, Why this is the biblical worldview and why scripture speaks and addresses this from this particular vantage point. And so I think what happens is a lot of times Christians try to blend into the culture as kind of a mode of defense for not being ostracized. And the question and the, the real thing that we need to consider is how is God calling us to live in this world? Is he calling us to blend in, to conform? To the world, or is he calling us to be different, to stand out? So when he says, Don't conform to this world or to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, there's something completely different that is happening for the believer. So, how do Christians battle against conforming to this age? The answer is by being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, this word for transformed, it's the word metamorphosis, and we know that word in scientific language anyway, but it, it means this fundamental change of character and conduct. It's where things become different. And we change from the sinful brokenness of our of our lives, and, 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 and our lives begin to look different. Our character is transformed as we come to faith in Christ. And as we grow in Christ. And our minds are renewed day by day. As our minds are renewed day by day, we're changed and we're trans. Formed. We're shaped into the image of Christ himself. This word for transformation is only used one other time in the New Testament. It's used in 2nd Corinthians chapter three, verse 18, where it says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit, you see renewing the renewing of the mind happens as the Holy Spirit of God takes the word of God and applies it to the life of the people of God. There's both a personal and a corporate responsibility to our growth in Christ. The church is responsible for equipping God's people. So I want to I want to refer you to the graphic on the back of your handout uh, and you can see. left my graphic here. So on the back of the handout, you can see this is how we kind of divide the <clears throat> this corporate and personal responsibility. Every member growing in Christ, right? And so this is what Paul is getting at here in, in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. And you see there for Christ, every member growing. There's a corporate responsibility. And from Scripture, here's what we see, how the church call, is called to come alongside the believer and to to help the believer grow in their faith and so if you look at Ephesians chapter 4 we see that uh, part of the work of the church is to equip the saints for ministry and we've talked about last week about what that ministry looks like and we'll talk about next week kind of what that ministry looks like but you see here for corporate equipping class this is the discipleship this is how we we grow and so we say you know we we have these equipping classes here at cross point why? So that we can grow as believers, so that we as a church are are instructing one another that we're teaching. We're learning God's word together and we're growing in our faith relationship with Christ together. And so we offer this two different times a year, 12, 10 to 12 weeks at a time. Right. We have a break during the summer. We have a break between uh, between uh, fall and spring. Uh, and so we'll start our next one beginning like February 12th. We have the new equipping classes coming up. But I want to encourage you that if you've not taken advantage of being involved and engaged in the equipping, equipping class, to take that opportunity to find one that you're interested in and then to go and to learn. Because it takes the renewal of our minds to grow in Christ. But also Sunday school. This is where we, we walk through books of the Bible and we grow in our biblical literacy. Or when we gather here for corporate worship and we see one another worshiping together. This is encouraging. And we sit under expositional preaching and we learn the truth of God's word. Or when we gather together for home groups in the middle of the week. We sit there and we encourage one another. We eat around the table together. We listen to one another. We pray for one another. Right? We even go and we serve together as we go and serve within the community. But then there's also the personal side. So how do we battle against conforming to the age? By the transformation of renewal of the mind. And this renewal of the mind happens for the believer as we have Bible intake. So at this point, I want to ask uh, Dale if he'll throw up that slide that we worked on. Uh, so in the coming weeks, we'll see how this kind of fits in. But you understand that these, these roots here, these are the roots of the the corporate and the personal life of the disciple growing into the soil. And what happens is as we grow, it produces fruit. And so on the next slide, we'll see the different aspects of of what it looks like for the believer. These are the the spiritual disciplines in, uh, in the believer's life from prayer to meditation, right, to Bible reading, memorizing scripture. So this is not legalism. But this is us as disciples of Christ saying, "Okay, what does it take for me to renew my mind? This needs to be decisive. This needs for the believer. This needs to be us applying ourselves to God's word so that we are growing. The only way for God's word to get into the disciple is for the disciple to get into God's word, right? That's the only way that it's going to happen. And so we study God's word. We spend time fasting or Praying. And so I want to invite you to consider how this fits in your life, this personal aspect of growing in Christ and this corporate aspect of growing in Christ. And so we're called to renew our minds in verse two, be transformed by the renewal of your minds. You see, that transformation of the mind is necessary to know God's will. Well. This isn't a cop-out, but to know God's will. What is the will of God for the life of the believer? The will of God for the life of the believer is that God's people would walk in obedience. That we would walk in obedience to God. That we would look into his word. That we would seek to know the truth of his word and allow our lives to be shaped by the objective truth of God's word. You know, oftentimes we... We are driven by our emotions and by things that we want. That's part of the battle in the flesh, right? Our our flesh cries out wanting satisfaction in one particular way, but yet we know in our minds and in our bodies, we know that this is not God's will, this is not God's way. And so there therein lies the battle. Nick's will or God's will. And then that's the battle. And so so as we're battling, we need to be submitting ourselves to the Lord, understanding that, God's word is truth. And so looking to God's word for the truth so that we might apply it to our lives. And then the Holy Spirit takes God's word and applies it to our lives. And so the will of God for your life, for my life, is obedience to Christ. It's simple in definition, but it's hard in practice, right? To walk in obedience to Christ takes us walking by the spirit of God. So let me close by asking you two questions. Are you offering your body as a living sacrifice? Are you offering your body as a living sacrifice? And then secondly, are you being transformed by the renewal of your mind? Are you being transformed by the renewal of your mind? Let me pray for us this morning. Our Father in heaven, we confess our Desperate need for you, O oh Lord. O oh God, how we need your presence. How we need your Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives. How we need the power of your Spirit to direct our feet. To give us strength to withstand the fleshly desires. To give us strength to battle against the uh, the old nature. that That sin that wants to reign supreme and rule in our lives. Father, we pray that you would strengthen us even to lay our lives down, give our bodies as living sacrifices before you. Lord, that each day we would wake up with this new desire, experiencing your mercies new and afresh each day, laying our lives down to serve you, to follow you, to walk with you, And, Lord, I pray that you would also renew our minds by your word. Strengthen us, Father. Give us a desire so that as you renew our minds and our lives are transformed, we will be more ready and desirous to lay our lives down as a living sacrifice. And so, Father, we pray that you would strengthen us today through your word and encourage our hearts and our minds. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Thank